0: Well, let's get started. Episode 19 of Utah in the Weeds. Uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Melanie Bone, who is from, well, Dr. Melanie Bone. I'm going to let Tim introduce her though, because they're friends. They've uh, they have helped a lot or they've helped each other out quite a bit. Uh, I don't know the whole story, but I'm going to let Tim uh, kind of yeah, um,
1: absolutely. introduce um, her. Sure. So uh, Dr. Bone and I, we got connected through Sean Hammond uh the grower for Zion Pharmaceuticals who we episode, who we uh, interviewed on another episode of Utah in the weeds and he knew th- and had in- encouraged me to get involved in the cannabis space in Utah and said you do, you've got to reach out to Dr. Bone Melanie she's she's an expert in this space she speaks nationally she's really involved um and so I started communicating with her as really she's become kind of a mentor to our practice in Utah and she's in West Palm Beach, Florida. We've actually never met in person. In fact, the first time we saw each other was tonight here on the screen. Right, Melanie?
2: That is correct. And I guessed which one was you and I was right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The the one without a beard, right? That's correct. Yeah, Yeah, the one without the beard.
1: Dr. Bone, um, you spoke at the American Medical Marijuana Physicians Association. Is that right?
2: That's right. That was back in um, 2018, I believe.
1: No, that was back when we were just when Utah was just passing the uh, the Prop Two, the cannabis legalization bill.
2: Okay, so when I spoke, we already had medical cannabis here in Florida. We started in 2016. And I was asked to give a lecture, which was about guidelines and standards for a cannabis clinic in Florida. Suffice to say that I kind of polarized the room. I think there were many people who did not like what I had to say, but I certainly think I made a little bit of a splash there. And a lot, a lot of people um, came up to me afterward to say that they agreed. I mean, where I differed from many of the um, I would say the original cannabis physicians in Florida who have really moved the needle on cannabis in this state was the fact that I think they don't want to be limited by the law. They want to provide what the patients need and don't want to be hampered by restrictions. And, you know, I certainly understand that. But I, I think our state suffers dramatically from the reputation of being the pill mill state. And I have been concerned from the get go that we'll become a pot mill state if we're not careful. And so I was the voice of maybe being a little bit more conservative about the way we utilize cannabis in this state. And you know, it's really interesting because I, it, one thing I think is bearing out over time, which is as more patients enter the registry and we have clinicians able to order large amounts of cannabis, we're having what all states have with growing pains, which is we run out. And if we try to limit someone to allow more people to have cannabis, there are people who frown upon that concept.
0: Now, what do you mean limit people, like limit patients, kind of like how they're doing here in Utah with the patient cap or?
2: Ah, so interesting. We don't have patient caps here in Florida, Uh but it has to do more with your daily. Milligram cap. So, the way we do it in Florida is you are certified by a physician or a DO who um, has a certification, which I can explain in a minute, requires two hours of education, and that's it. Yes. Oh. And um that clinician has the ability to order a certain number of milligrams of CBD and a certain number of milligrams of THC that the patient may purchase over the course of 7070 days. And what happens is if you look in the registry, you have people who order as little as 1 to 2 milligrams of THC a day. And people who order tens of thousands of milligrams. And the registry doesn't seem to do. I don't know if they ever ask people, why are you giving someone 10 or grams of THC a day? Uh, I just don't know anyone who can utilize that amount of cannabis. And, you know, the theory is the patient will only buy what they need. I mean, there's a couple of theories behind it. One, we should never limit patients who need it. Two, you don't know what the patient needs. Therefore, you want to make sure the patient doesn't have anxiety about running out. There's another concern that since THC is federally illegal, that a lot of physicians in the state feel that if they just give a blanket permission with a a lot of milligrams. They're not actually writing a prescription. They're giving kind of a blanket recommendation to anybody who walks through their doors, and that they feel is somewhat protective of themselves.
1: That just seems silly.
2: <laughs> well, you know. Sorry,
1: I just, I, I don't. I think it's counterintuitive.
2: Yeah, it doesn't make sense because let's say uh, opioids were legal. Right. And you, you know, you, and the way we did it was you go and buy as much as you want. Would you want to let somebody buy endless amounts? Well, the answer back is, but you know, you're not going to die of a THC overdose and you could die of an opioid overdose. Okay. But I don't know of any medicine that we use. And for a lot of people, we're trying to make this more mainstream medicine. Right. Even though it, it, is more folk medicine or herbal medicine, but we're trying to make it more mainstream. But I don't think it helps our cause to say, well, okay, you can just buy however much you want and do whatever you want with it. But that's, you know, there's just different mindsets within the state. And I I understand where everybody's coming from.
0: I was just going to ask, Tim, isn't the limit for Utah, what is it, 28 grams a month or something like that? What's the limit
1: for Utah? Yeah. So 20,000 milligrams per month or 20 grams of concentrates per month plus four ounces of raw flour. Now in Utah, we do not have to have a separate certification for flour. And it's my understanding, Melanie, that in Florida, you have to have actually a separate certification to uh, purchase flour. Is that right?
2: Right. So I think the state wanted flour to be the last resort for a host of reasons. I think they felt it was more likely to be subject to diversion and they had to get their head around the fact that flour could be considered medicine when it's hard to regulate. And so what they have the patient do is initially try other form factors And then if the patient tries other form factors and comes back and says, they're not working for me, Uh, I think I would like to try flour to see if I get more benefit, then you have to have them sign a second consent, and this consent includes everything up to and including you know, it can cause mental illness if you have a predisposition and you can have seizures and it causes tars, which could be cancer causing. It's, it's kind of a scary consent. And, um, and then you can give them flour and then they can purchase up to 2.5 ounces per 35 days and they can have unlimited amounts of the other form factors pretty much. I mean, most people, the reality says, and we just had kind of a loose poll among the physicians the other night on a meeting, and most people are ordering between 100 and 300 milligrams a day of THC on average for people. So I don't, I mean, even if we could write for more than that, that seems to be the standard.
0: So a patient has to, every day request THC? They don't get it for a, a month or something?
2: Oh No, I'm so sorry. So it would be like going to a pharmacy and you say the patient can take one pain pill a okay. day. You still will okay. give them 30 pain okay. pills per month. So they can get 70 days worth of marijuana. They could actually purchase all 70 days of their cannabis on the first day. And that's fine. But then if they go back on day 62 and they want more, they're stuck with either waiting until day 71 when a new order opens up or calling you and saying, well, I don't have any marijuana left and uh, I'm in pain and I need more. And can you increase my milligrams? So I think another reason why physicians are liberal with their milligrams, let's be honest, nobody wants to be called on a Sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning because somebody's at a dispensary and they're out of milligrams. So the thought is, well, if I give enough milligrams, I can still monitor what the patient's doing and I could always clamp down. But I think for many reasons, they do better when you let them not worry about running out.
0: It almost sounds like Florida it has a worse program than Utah, Tim, which – no, don't don't take offense, Melanie. I mean, I want our listeners to realize, like, people are so quick to complain about Utah's medical cannabis program, which – it's obviously not perfect. Florida's not perfect either, but at least you have one, right?
2: Oh, yeah. No, we're not perfect. But, I mean – there's some really good things about our program. I think we're we're developing fairly robust options for patients, whereas initially we were very limited. And I think the future is bright. I mean, uh, I can explain to you that I deal with seniors as one aspect of my job. I do a cannabis initiative in over 65 uh, residential community. And We find a lot of issues with the way Florida does cannabis, namely that they all need either a valid driver's license or a Florida state photo ID in order to get a card. And we have people who are 85 in terrible pain. They haven't driven in, you know, 10 years. They've been living on that campus for 10 years. They have neither a license nor a photo ID and they can't, they cannot get a card.
1: Wow. Oh, wow. Chris, this is the other reason why I wanted to bring Melanie on, and I thought that it was a good a good person for people to listen to, because the comparison between, like you say, Florida and Utah and the differences between our programs, the pros and cons of Utah's program, where the flower uh, situation seems to be more liberal, right? Because we can buy four ounces a month and they can only buy two and a half ounces every thirty-five days. And yet we have the same issues, which is the lack of availability of product for um, for patients, and then these little technical issues, like the Department of Health didn't quite think. Oh well, what about the 85 year old without an ID? Like, how are they going to get cannabis in Florida? And we have these same issues here with the EVS system, or people without uh, valid driver's licenses can't can't get access here either.
2: Oh, okay. And what about, see, I don't think you have this in Utah. We have seasonal residents, snowbirds. So they live in New York or Connecticut or Massachusetts, and then they come down to Florida for the winter. And um, some of the states, Massachusetts is fully legal, and some of them have medical cards anyway in their state. But if they come down here, A, their medical card won't work here. And B, they're used to being able to to go to a dispensary and buy so they might want to get a card and to get a seasonal resident, a card, there are a lot of hoops. You have to jump to through. through. Oh yeah. Like if you, if you stay at your child's place and you can't establish any type of residency with your name on it, like a phone bill, a mortgage payment. I mean, they make you send this stuff to the state. And if you don't have it with your name on it, and you can't establish what they want, you still won't be able to get a card.
1: Yeah, here they have a—they actually have a program. There's, there's a law for it. There hasn't been a rule written, so it's not in place yet. But people even from out of town, although their cards won't be good here in Utah, it's similar to yours, uh, they'll be able to get a card, a temporary card, with an out-of-state uh, license. And we don't know the details of that program yet. But that may be something that um maybe even again more more liberal than Florida's program.
2: I think you're right and at the last meeting of the Florida Cannabis Physicians we discussed those issues that we think we should go after in the legislature in the upcoming session which won't start until January but you know things like exactly the issue I spoke with about photo IDs and um, caregivers. I mean, caregivers are designed to help those people that need help getting their cannabis and administering it. But what they did when they wrote the law, so every caregiver has to register, pay an annual fee, the same as getting a card. So it doubles the cost for the family. And um, they have to take a little course and a five question quiz, which is very intimidating to some people. And I, I mean, I'm not sure I understand why they did it that way, but I was speaking with someone today who said, well, you know, they, they were concerned that some of these people have caregivers who would want to divert products, uh, product. So they decided to make the, the hurdle there to get the card so that Everybody wouldn't run to be a caregiver. And, 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 you know, they were worried what would happen to a product that was designed for the patient, especially hospice patients and elderly patients who are the ones who tend to need caregivers. I mean, there are just some things in the, in the law, and I understand why the government probably did it, but I don't think they realized that it became obstacles to getting care for people who really need it
1: this caregiver issue is very similar to Utah Utah's under 21 and then anybody who needs a caregiver if you're under 21 and you have a card then you have to have a caregiver that caregiver in Utah has to pay a, an additional fee and have a background check Ooh. again similar for the diversion issue they have to have a background check run by the state um so you yeah, just like you just a just hoops to jump through to Limit diversion, limit the uh, the desire of people to want to be caregivers, and some of them I guess are valid, and some of them, again, kind of kind of silly. Can I jump subjects completely sure. before I forget? Yeah, yeah. So you deal with a lot of uh, over sixty five, and Alzheimer's is a qualifying condition in Utah. We had a phone, we had a conversation about this a little bit the other day. Right. What about this dementia and all, like an Alzheimer's patient over 65 and cannabis? There's, there's been some pushback in Utah about having this as a, as a qualifying condition because, uh, you know, cannabis affects the mind. It makes you forgetful sometimes. And what do you think about this Alzheimer's? Do you have patients that you take care of with Dementia. Can you talk to that a little bit?
2: Oh, of course, I would love to. So, one of the one of the places where we do a lot of work at the community where I do this cannabis initiative is a memory care unit, a locked unit for patients with all types of dementia, later stage dementia, and um, so we have a problem there because the nurses that work there may indirectly, however you want to think about their salaries may somehow include um, healthcare dollars from Medicare and Medicaid. And so therefore we can't use THC products on memory care. We're trying to work on that. We've come up with a few solutions that we're trying to implement, but at this moment we use um, CBD and we use it for anxiety, anxiety, Um, hyperactivity, uh, agitation, combative behavior. And it's pretty amazing. We've seen a lot of success. Now we do have complete failures. Okay. But we do see success in certain patients and their families are probably the most grateful families I've ever worked with. In my private practice of cannabis, I have a lot of dementia patients and I can utilize THC. And of course, we I usually do a stepwise fashion in the way I treat. I'll use a full spectrum product or a low THC, maybe a ratio product, a nine to one CBD to THC when I first start and um, we see what happens. And that for some patients works very nicely, but... Uh, one gentleman comes to mind where just an amazing man, he, he and his wife had a wonderful marriage. She's a dentist, but his manifestation of his uh, dementia is um, the need to walk and move and not just a little bit. I mean, he will walk up to 16 miles a day. And his wife had to hire different caregivers to come just to walk with him all day. And in Florida, you know, you could walk all day outside a lot of the time and it was upsetting her because when she tried to just keep him in the house, he would just break down the door. So she put him on a couple of different memory care units and he's not a young, he's a young man. And unfortunately he did the same thing on the memory care units. And, and so they wouldn't let him stay. And, and, she came to me frustrated and said, what do you think we should do? So we started with the, um, the higher CBD ratio products and we didn't really know the success we wanted. So we ended up reverting to adding THC. And astonishingly to me, by when we got to uh, so about 60 milligrams of THC a day, about uh, 20 milligrams, three times a day, or 15, four times a day, he became very docile And he stopped even wanting to leave the house. And she actually asked me to back off because she thought he was too quiet compared to what he would normally be. So that's a nice example of where we saw a patient who had been treated with multiple psychotropic medications by his other physicians without any success, have just amazing success using cannabis.
1: Oh, wow. And um, these sort of things, I think, speak to the fact that you've really got to have personalized care. It's different for everybody. It's not for everybody, uh, but, but it's worth a try if it's safe, right?
2: Right. So when it, when it works well, it works so well, it's almost magical. And I understand why so many people refer to the plant as a magical plant, but there's a fine line between being enthusiastic about cannabis that works really well and being what I I know I've told you this, Tim, a cannabis evangelist. So I'm not really a cannabis evangelist because I'm not indiscriminate in my adoration of cannabis. But I must say, uh, I'm really working hard to find ways to get it onto my memory care unit In this facility, um, actually, we're joking around talking about hiring someone who's not employed by the facility, and I'll I'll jokingly call them the marijuana fairy, who goes around and (laughs) administers marijuana so that no one who's paid by CMS dollars touches marijuana. But the problem is you have to have caregivers for that person who can administer that marijuana. So- the problem there is you can't have the one on one rule, one caregiver, one patient. Otherwise, that person has to be available 24 hours a day to administer if the patient's taking multiple doses. So you either have to compromise and say, okay, I'm going to give this person one or two doses a day, an AM and a PM, and that's it. And we, you know, we like to make cannabis have like a PRN component as needed, or we have to find a way to get more than one person able to dose the patient to give them their medicine. But I know we'll get there. I have complete confidence.
1: So who's your favorite uh, patient to treat? Like what's your favorite cannabis patient?
2: Oh, my favorite. Well, you know, before I came to the world of cannabis, I know you know this, Tim, I was an OBGYN. I've been a gynecologist and a robotic surgeon and a hormone doctor for 30 years. But I find cannabis to be a lot like hormones. And I actually like Dealing with some of the issues that remind me of dealing with hormones. So I find um, a lot of patients with anxiety and PTSD, they are complex because if you look at the responses to CBDs or all of the CBs, CBG, CBN, CBC, and compare it with THC, it requires doing a lot of adjusting in ratios and combinations. Um, very interestingly, I had a young, young patient yesterday who is a PTSD patient, had a closed head injury and has had kind of like an anger issue ever since his mother is by his side all the time. He's a beautiful young man, very sweet when he's sweet, but he knows that when he loses it, he loses it. And for instance, his latest issue is he can only wear a mask for so long and then his brain won't let him wear a mask anymore and it's caused issues. So what we ended up finding that worked for him was ironically a high dose THC product and a high dose CBD product, but spaced out through the day. Uh, I just, that's what works for him, not a one-to-one ratio. And it, it just, he needs some of one and then some of the other. And so I think the complex anxiety PTSD patients are appealing to me because it's not one size fits all. And you have to be willing to think out of the box. You know, I don't know how much ratios you use in in Utah because you do a lot of flour, but we do a lot of um, sublingual tinctures and we do ratioed products, but we don't have as many different options for ratioed products as, let's say, California, Colorado does. So we end up sort of Mm. trying to create our own ratios by administering THC and CBD uh, in different combinations, in different ways to get the same effect as a ratio product you might find in another state.
1: Interesting. So we do the same. We have quite a few ratio products in the dispensaries, uh, like one-to-one. Isn't that right, Chris? You've got one-to-one, one-to-five, uh, 10-to-one. In fact, there's a 25-to-one product that Dragonfly has. Right. But then, uh, but we do use, like, I, I tend to use more flour probably than you do in Florida. So, with the flour, we're constantly doing a tincture of CBD, a strong CBD tincture that's maybe morning and night uh, in order to try to reduce some of the anxiety, especially with the high dose um, or the high percentage THC flour. Right. It's because it seems like none of the dispensaries sell normal marijuana, like 10, 12%, no, no, or, or even less. Oh, you no, know? recently we tried to put a cap.
2: In Florida, they tried to put a cap on the THC percentage and that was not looked on oh, yeah, kindly.
1: that's not going to go over. No,
2: that did not go no over well, way. but, but you're right. And you know, if you want to preload the receptors with some CBD. Um, I like the idea of morning CBD and evening CBD because I think you're right. It ameliorates some of the negative side effects of the higher THC products, but allows people to use them for pain management, spasticity, etc. Interesting. I, I listened to a guy the other day on a podcast and he doesn't use any CBD. He's a Harvard doctor and he doesn't believe in cbd he thinks whatever cbd is native to the plant is enough interesting hmm. just different yeah but we just we've
1: we've genetically modified the plant to eliminate all the other cannabinoids <laughs> so
2: i don't right i i happen to agree with you if we could go back and get the harlequins you know which are natively more like a 1 to 1 that would be sure. fine but i think One dispensary in town has a Harlequin. It's hard because most of our dispensaries either have high CBD, one-to-one, high THC. And I end up going back a lot to the same dispensaries with patients who have, you know, five-to-one, four-to-one, one-to-five, so that we can make it easier for them. Because that's you want to make it easy, right? You don't want to make them have a hard time.
0: Do you have a limit? of how many dispensaries you have in Florida, like we do here in Utah. So there's going to be only like what, 14 dispensaries here, Tim. And yeah, that's, so that's right. I was curious, is Florida kind of the same way, or are you guys able to just kind of have them
1: wherever? No,
2: I mean, they only put out so many licenses originally and it's so financially prohibitive, uh, you know, to start a business because we have full vertical integration in our state, which means you have to grow the cannabis, harvest it, process it, package it, and bottle it in your retail facilities. So on average, I, I heard, a, I don't know if this is the right number, but up to $60 million to you know really get a good dispensary off the ground. So a lot of big time investment, which limited the number of people who really had interest to be able to apply. And there is, um, there is ongoing litigation about whether this is truly a monopoly, is it really a safety issue? And, you know, I come back to how can you be good at every single thing? I mean, growers can be great growers, but not great processors. And every step along the way, people can be an expert in that step without being a master of everything.
1: I'm I'm just shocked that you would have, essentially, dis- every dispensary is a different vertical. Oh, yeah. Like at least here, you know, here there were eight grow licenses and 14 dispensaries. Most dispensaries are allowed two, uh, one more urban and one more rural. So there's but th- but it's not the same. You know, you're going to have like Zion Pharmaceuticals who has a grow license and they're going to process some some oils and such. But they'll be able to distribute their products into all 14 dispensaries if those if they make that arrangement uh, business wise. That seems like a much uh, better for the consumer.
2: Oh, it would be much better. Than a totally vertical. Yeah, you would have better competition and probably better product. I was just trying to refresh. I think there are over 250 retail outlets in the state of Florida right now. I was just reading that. But I think we're in the neighborhood of. I mean, if I had to just count them on my hand, probably under fifteen. You know, True Leaf has the highest number of dispensaries in the state, and we have um, a company called Certera Wellness, which is actually their parent company, is Parallel, and we have like Liberty Health Sciences and Cure relief and you know MedMen, some some national brands.
1: But big, big row operations that have multiple retail outlets. Right. But 200 plus dispensaries, that's a lot compared to what
2: we're getting here.
1: Holy cow. And Florida's not that big.
2: <gasps> Florida's big. Are you kidding me? Well,
0: it is, but it's not It's not like California.
2: No, we have, but it takes like seven hours to transverse the state. Um, it's north. Desert,
1: yeah. Yeah. True. True.
0: I mean, I guess people-wise, probably,
1: Probably longer with it's so
0: hot.
2: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but, the, you know, of course, the one thing is, is let's say you live in Miami, which is very far south, and you decide to go visit Tallahassee, which is our state capital, but it's very far north and west, and it's almost like being in another state. They really are so different, as long as you have your card, you can go to any dispensary anywhere in the state and purchase. So they don't limit you geographically within the state.
1: That's good. What's the process of getting a card there? Now, I think we talked about it, uh, you know, it's been months ago. But but you issue a card from, the, from your office that lets them go down to the dispensary directly?
2: No, that's not exactly how it works. So the patient comes in for a... Face to face consultation. Now, even in the time of COVID, the state does not waive that face to face visit. You must have a face to face visit uh, for the initial consultation because you're required to do a physical examination. Okay. It's interesting because I don't, there are no parameters of what that physical examination consists of, but most doctors will do a basic exam, observation. Maybe vital signs. Um, I don't know of any marijuana doctors right now that are fully undressing patients and doing complete exams. I, I say, if you went to a psychiatrist who would prescribe psychotropic medications, would they completely undress you and examine you? Uh, I would hazard a guess that say says they would not, but you have <laughs> right. right. You have to do an exam and take a history, and in particular, we you know, a substance history and a psych history and current medications. And then if you feel that they have one of the 12 diagnoses for which they can get a card in the state of Florida, you may then certify them. Now that doesn't get them a card. What happens is they then have to apply for a card which we help them do in the office at that visit. It will take 14 days on average for them to get an email from the state saying that they have been approved of for a card. They can then shop with that email. They don't need the physical card because that can be delayed by weeks and weeks and weeks and they need a valid photo ID and their state ID number or if they get their card, they can take their card. And then they may go shop. Now, what I do is I put an order in the computer as soon as I know they have been certified by the state and accepted. And the order allows them to purchase however much marijuana I give them permission to for 70 days. Now, a lot of doctors, one thing you can do is you can automatically re-up every 70 days without seeing the patient. You must see the patient every 210 days. Now that's every 7 months.
1: such an have, odd I
2: have no idea why it's 70 days and 210 days. I mean, things in medicine are 30, 60, 90, 120, 180. I I, I would love to understand what was thinking that they were thinking, but maybe they wanted to make it different, right? So right. you can re up them automatically, but every 210 days at the most, you need to recertify them. So Let me tell you that if they don't have one of the approved of diagnoses, you still can get them certified, but that requires a letter to the state in which you as the physician are able to say why you feel they would benefit from cannabis and document with medical literature to support your opinion. We call that the similar to diagnosis. So I'll give you an example. Probably the most common thing we see these days is anxiety, right? Anxiety is not an approved of diagnosis. So you have to say it is similar to PTSD, which is an approved of diagnosis. But if you follow the guidelines for diagnosis of PTSD, it's hard to get patients a PTSD diagnosis because it requires certified practitioners in the diagnosis of PTSD to do it. And most of us, you know, this is what I say. Patient comes in, her daughter was just killed right in front of her. I don't need to send her for formal testing to know that this patient has PTSD, right? But I can't label her as PTSD because I don't have that formal testing. So I will label her as anxiety, similar to PTSD. And then I have my medical literature that I have to send to support it. So almost all of our patients get a letter because almost all of our patients are similar to diagnoses because the big four, anxiety, insomnia, fibromyalgia, um, they're just not covered at chronic pain. So chronic pain, this is the worst. In the state of Florida, if you want to use chronic pain, it has to have arisen from one of the other diagnoses. But if that diagnosis goes by and they still have pain, then you can call it chronic pain. So I'll get the the really the time I use that is for cancer patients who were treated for cancer, got over their cancer, are in remission right now, but they still have pain from their chemo, radiation, whatever. Then you check the box, chronic pain and cancer. But most people, even with chronic pain, we end up having to send a letter for similar too, because they have... Severe arthritis, and that's not a diagnosis.
1: Wow. Oh, wow. So there's things in Florida, like the similar two would be similar to our compassionate use board, which is a board of seven physicians that meets and decides on these cases that are not allowed under the qualifying conditions. And in our state, it's so difficult to get somebody through the compassionate use board. And it sounds like in Florida, it's it's much easier to get somebody through the similar two. But on the other hand, our chronic pain uh, diagnosis is very, very thin and very broad, where your diagnoses are very narrow. Uh, It's just fascinating to me the differences where there's some benefit to the Florida program and there's some benefit to the Utah program. Uh, I just think that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And if you go to other states, it's different again. I think I mentioned to you, I was doing a consult for gentlemen in New Jersey, and they have smokable flour and hard-pressed pills, but they don't really have a variety of tinctures or other options. And, you know, this poor guy, 30-something, dying of cancer. And he he said, I can't smoke. I'm just too sick to smoke even right now. And uh, if I take a pill, I kind of throw it up or it doesn't seem to digest. I felt so bad. I wanted this guy to be able to get a patch or a cream or a sublingual or something, but I couldn't get him one.
0: Now, so in Florida, you can't smoke it Either like Utah, you can only could you vape it in Florida or smoke it, or what are the what are the laws there with consuming it?
2: No, well, once you get your smokable flower consent, then you can do whatever you want.
0: So you can get a a flame and ignite it and smoke it like in a regular bong or or something like that. See, in Utah, Utah, we can't do that. You have to vape, which I think is you have to vape or eat or tincture or cream, or is that? I think that's all of it, right?
2: So your your flower you can make into edibles. Is that? the thought
1: yeah so the flour can be made into edibles and the flour can be consumed inhaled as long as it's in a as long as basically at 400 450 degrees mm-hmm. just not combustion temperature no combustion
2: no combustion
1: only they figured life. the combustion the argument is that there's no medical benefit to uh, combustion itself
2: Right. It's just, right. I understand. So, but no, here you can buy pre-rolls or flour and, you know, but you can buy flour vaporizers here. They're gaining in popularity over time, but you can buy hash and rosin and bubble and shatter and all sorts of wax. And, you know, at that point, it's, that's an interesting conversation. You know, how does that make you medical? And how do you know the dose? And that's where you say this is definitely a very individualized medicine. And I can't get into your head to know what you need to get relief. But you can understand why people are skeptical, right? People are skeptical.
1: Yeah, of course, especially when you're getting out the, you know, the uh, the glass straw, and you're using a dab, and it's uh, a wax. Yeah, and- like all these different forms, and and you're going, how is that? Now, how does that look like? It's medicine.
2: <laughs> no, it's right. I agree. And you know, you get to know certain dispensaries because some dispensaries are for the you know much more experienced user, and some dispensaries seem to be a little bit better for newbies and won't scare them, <laughs> which is good. And eighty-five year olds who who microdose and are often very happy with microdosing.
0: What's a rough idea of how many patients you have in Florida? I'm just curious how many. Uh, uh,
2: Our uh, registry now is in the neighborhood of 400,000, I think.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. 400,000. What do we got, Tim? Like 40? (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: We have got a total of 10,000 applications in. We've got a total of, I think, yeah, 10,000 applications in. Uh, four cards in the state of Utah as of last week, I think. So I don't, uh, I can't, yeah, I can't, um, I can't even fathom what that will be like. Right. You know, I don't, I don't even know we would ever get there. The estimated number in Utah in five years is about 60,000, which I think we're going to blow by, oh, yeah. you know, in the matter of a couple of years.
2: Yeah. What's your total population in your state?
1: Oh, that, now that, I should
2: know. I should know the answer to that. I
0: want to say the entire state is like 3
1: million.
2: Okay, so I think we're in the neighborhood of 12 million or something. So if we have, you know.
1: So four times. Yeah, that would only put us at, that would only put us at 250,000. Right. um, I'd be okay with cards. cards. But
2: at 250,000, I wonder. four times. Yeah, but at two hundred and fifty thousand, I wonder if you're going to be able to have those physicians meet and assess every individual exception separately. I mean, we kind of joke that nobody really could have time to read these letters. We have to send the state, and we have to resend them every six, every two hundred and ten days, every six to seven months. We have to resend that letter saying just what we said s- the time before. I mean, I don't.
1: Know. Yeah, there's no way they're reviewing it. And I think you're right. You make a good point that once you get fifty or sixty thousand patients in the system, and you're submitting a lot of these compassionate use board applications, this is going to be a full time job. Somebody's going to have to do this every single day.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. not just once a month. And and I don't know how many people work in your state at the level of the registry, but I don't know what happened with COVID, but they it's terrible. My poor nurse who will hang on to the phone for me while we need to make calls to the registry has been on hold for as long as 50 to 60 minutes waiting for a human being to come online. And she is afraid to hang up because she says, if I hang up, I will never get through again.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, just, uh, just, Something to look forward to, Chris. <laughs> Next time you renew your card. yeah, yeah. Growing, I mean, growing
2: pains. Well, they really want you to do everything online. They do not want you to call them. They want everything done online, but there are certain things, you know, they'll reject somebody three times for a card and you can't understand why. And you really need to get a human being on the phone. And, and it turns out it's some little glitch that's fixable. But it can't be done without speaking. That can't be done without speaking to a human. So I feel sorry for those poor people working in Tallahassee. They must be just worn out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Well, I'm really excited to have you uh, be more involved in Utah. Like we really have got to get you more uh, exposure in Utah and have you and your knowledge come here in a good way.
2: Well, that would be great. I told you, I've been to Utah. I had a child. I told you this. So I'll share it with your listeners that really why I became involved in cannabis was I was a complete anti, um, you know, I was that person who in college took one little token, got stoned and got paranoid and anxious and said, I'm never doing this again. And then how, I did this, I don't know, but I gave birth to four children and they were the complete opposite of me. They kind of embraced the joys of cannabis. And I had one who really did to the detriment. And to make a long, long story short, we we really had a child who was a straight A student, brilliant, brilliant child, who was a debater in nationwide, ranked in the top 10 debaters in the United States for about a decade. I mean, this child is unbelievable. But liked so much pot that just grades went from straight A's to falling off the cliff. So we ended up sending that child to Utah to go sit in the woods in the Wintus Mountains And work with um, a therapist out there in an outdoor wilderness program, which turned out to be fabulous for everybody, for the child, for us. We learned, we all learned so much. But I remember going to pick my child up and um, flying into Salt Lake and driving out into the Wintus Mountains. It was really, really beautiful. And then, ironically, my other connection to Utah is that. I um, speak a lot about breast cancer. Uh, I am a coming up next week a twenty year survivor of uh, late stage breast cancer, and I worked with a company called Myriad Genetics, located in Salt Lake. Yes. And I joke I'm the grandmother of Myriad. I I spoke for years and years and years on behalf of Myriad, it, teaching about uh, hereditary cancer syndromes. So I have a fondness for. Utah and ironically that child of mine we're now in the cannabis industry together isn't that funny after that we all came full smile.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's awesome it's been fun chatting with you melanie thank you for coming on the podcast i've uh, i've learned a lot from you today
2: oh uh, well thank you it's been a joy and uh, i'm sure we can do it again and i look forward to a time when i can come out to utah and uh, work with you all on some of these projects
0: Absolutely. Do you have any other questions for Melanie
1: or or should we get this show wrapped up, Tim? Yeah, I don't think there was anything. I mean, there's certainly a lot more to talk about. I mean, Melanie's history and, and I think from, you know, from a housekeeping standpoint here in Utah, just, I think for our listeners, watch out for the opening of Wholesome Dispensary in Bountiful, which will be happening very soon at the first of August. Very cool. And, That's kind of the big announcement for Utah. And how can people get stickers?
0: Where are those stickers going to be at, Tim, that I gave you yesterday?
1: Oh, yes. So if you want stickers, Utah in the weed stickers, they're in my office. You've got to come down in person. What's your address Uh, there? My address is 740 East, 3900 South, Mill Creek. We're uh, in Suite 108. The sign on the door is Utah Therapeutic Health Center, Utah THC. And, uh, or you can, you can get a hold of us at UtahMarijuana.org. Uh, we have chat features, so you're welcome to chat us up online at UtahMarijuana.org very cool very cool go get a sticker
0: i don't know how many uh will be there by the time people hear this cuz there's n- there wasn't a ton of them but uh, now melanie how can people get a hold of you like uh do you have a website or something we didn't even talk about your website or how people can get a hold of you if they want to connect and chat more. oh sure
2: um my website is pretty simple dr dr melanie m e l a n i e bone like a bone in your body b o n e and um on that, there is a a link to send a message. And uh, I even do a mentoring program for doctors who are interested in getting involved in cannabis and want to start and don't really have a lot of knowledge. And uh, we send information and uh, we do one-on-one didactic sessions. And it's uh, been very helpful for some folks who want to start.
1: Very cool. Like me.
2: <laughs> my star pupil is Tim. <laughs>
0: uh, Tim's rad. Tim is a rad guy. Uh, and you could find out more about me at IamSaltLake.com. I Am Salt Lake podcast is my, is my other podcast I do. I was going to say main podcast, but guys, we've been going at this podcast. we got a, almost 20 episodes out now, Tim. So this is another main podcast at this point. Um, yes. IamSaltLake.com. I do that with my wife, Chrissy. Go check that out. We're here every week with Utah on the Weeds Make sure to subscribe in uh, whatever podcast app you listen in, uh, uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. I think we're everywhere. And if we're not, let us know. And I always tell people if they want to come on the show to reach out.
2: Is there anything else you want to add, Melanie, before we completely go here? No, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You bet. Anything else you want to add, Tim? Nope. Stay safe out there.